in the talk yesterday it referred to the practice and the application of the Dharma of the teaching in daily life situations and the talk primarily revolved around the usefulness and the validity of taking the basic outline of the Eightfold Path and deliberately, consciously applying it into using it as a background for personal development, growth and of course coming to maturity in the Dharma coming to maturity in the teaching and therefore in life itself and this maturity is full awakening to reality and the Dharma therefore is can be or can be described as a teaching which presents both a rational outlook upon life and it, and it's one which is coupled with realistic ethics a virtuous way of living and includes in itself extremely meaningful and penetrative psychology and in this talk this this morning I wish to refer to the this application of the Dharma and specifically make references to some of the practical aspects of its application which should be borne in mind. The culmination of Dharma, coming to maturity in Dharma, is a gradual process in which a person, an individual living in the world, grows both in wisdom and in compassion. And so the basic premise of the whole teaching is one which centers on the actuality of suffering, difficulty, unsatisfactory in this life, and the application of the medicine of Dharma to come to its end. Upon its cessation, there is awakening. So what are some of the ways and means, the practical ways and means which can be employed to help make Dharma a living actuality in one's own life. Firstly, on one side, there is the development of stillness, of calmness, of what in the Pali language is called samatha. This particular area is so often neglected and ignored in order to be able to develop calmness and stillness 
it requires special care and attention to both body and mind. Care of body includes diet and an awareness of the value of nutritious, beneficial food. It also includes the use of the body at the physical level, including sexual relationship, including exercise, including sleep, and finding in those areas of the physical use of the body a balance and a harmony. This balance and harmony for individuals varies from one to another. And if a person is neglecting one of those areas, overlooking or ignoring, this generally leads to forms of tension, disruption, disturbance in the physical organism itself. And in fact, of course, much physical disorder, a great, perhaps a great majority of it, is directly or indirectly as a result of states of mind, as a result of carelessness, foolishness, ignorance, which has its corresponding effect in the body. So a person who is, who is growing, developing and coming to maturity in the Dharma is watchful of the ways and means in which the body is used and employed. One particular area which is, needs to be, the individual needs to be watchful for, which you have to see, is with regard to this whole tendency in so many people's lives to be speedy. The speediness of the mind creates a, a speediness within the body and this build-up of momentum and then periods of exhaustion and then build-up of momentum again creates imbalance physically, creates imbalance mentally. Sometimes there is a certain necessity to, to hurry, to move quickly. The primary thing is the quality of mind at that time. A person can, do, can engage in actions if efficiently and quickly when there is an actual awareness being applied. And in particular tasks, it's an actual development of the individual to actually deal with the actuality of one thing at a time. A basic premise, a basic ground in Dharma. Another area of this ground groundwork, which again is so often forgotten and, and overlooked, is the, the value of working with the body with regard to the four basic postures. Namely, sitting, walking, standing 
and reclining. Each one of these postures can be utilized in a meaningful way with regard to aiding greater stillness. Like this reclining posture is the posture of lying down, either on one side or lying down on one's back. In, these, in any of these four postures, if the awareness is brought into the center, as it were, of that posture, you can find a point of stillness. And it's the actual practice, a dedicated practice of finding stillness amidst activity that this dharma is what this dharma is all about. It's a gradual, gradual approach. Now, in this finding of calm, in, in this finding of, of stillness, there are a whole range of different methods and techniques and means which can be used. And generally speaking, it is valuable for a person not to keep switching and swapping from one method to another. This is often merely an expression of the of the confusion and the uncertainty of the mind. So generally speaking, a person adopts a particular approach, employing particular methods as a specific training in being more grounded. What we are using here, of course, is the very traditional, well-used, well-tried one of being aware of the in-breath and the out-breath. We use it specifically in the course of a sitting, but a person may find that if in the course of a, a day there's a certain speediness of my mind, to actually breathe in long, breathe out long, breathe in long, breathe out long, can be both cooling and tranquilizing. And, and though people know this and have heard it before, this, it's so easily forgotten. The importance of it for people doesn't, it doesn't seem to register deeply enough. And similarly, it would be nice to say to people in their development of, of calm and stillness that just find it in the position that you are in. Find it right now. Physically, be still. Mentally, be still. But most people have great difficulty in finding it. And so there is the need for the formal sort of application of the practice through the development of particular postures. Noticeably, more obviously in the sitting. So it is well worth while you're taking time and making the effort 
had every possible opportunity to actually sit, to actually be with oneself to sit. In a working situation, that, that means finding the time in the morning, finding the time in the evening, finding the time in the day, if possible, to sit. That period of sitting, if it's possible, it can be one hour or more. If it's not possible for that period of time, then half an hour or twenty minutes or even ten minutes or even five minutes of complete stillness in the posture using a technique, a mantra or breath or whatever. But finding the actual time because those minutes build up. Those minutes bring about their benefit and their effect during the day. Remember, this is all with regard to a training of just being in daily life a little bit more calm. Training and the discipline in being a little bit more harmonious, a little bit more cooled out. The Buddha said that with regard to this successive, successive development, what the way of the order of it is one primarily of purity of conduct, which means developing a certain harmony and clarity in one's relationship with the world, with other people. This purity of conduct, he said, leads to greater purity of mind, or clarity of mind, the same thing. And from this clarity or purity of mind, one comes to purity of understanding and wisdom. There's a rather a simple illustration of this. One of the devotees of the Buddha was a woman named Visakha. Each morning, faithfully every day, this woman, who incidentally had already come to profound insight and understanding, would wait outside the area where the, the monks and the nuns were living at that time, and she, a laywoman, would come and as they left to go on their begging round, the arms round in the morning, she would be there and each morning she would provide them with some a little rice or fruit or whatever. And one day she would, Visaka was asked, well, why do you do this? Why is it every day you make the effort to be here to provide food? And she said, well, the reason is very simple. By my action of just making some effort to give something to another person, showing love, showing compassion towards others, I find that within myself it brings about joy. It, I, I feel delight in, actual, in that actual giving. This joy and delight 
which I experience makes my mind more supple, more fluid, and in that suppleness and the fluidity of my mind, my mind easily comes to deeper levels of meditation, which brings me correspondingly to greater insight. And and that is really an illustration of how when our outer life is directed towards the relief of suffering, which, or which is directed towards service and communication, correspondingly the effect on the mind is one of bringing the mind to greater peacefulness, therefore greater clarity, therefore greater insight. So we, as I mentioned, we just employed particular ways and means to help bring about the greater stillness and clarity in the mind. The important thing is that it should be such that, or it is such, that initially we find it through formal meditation practice with a view to channeling it or to discovering it in the midst of tremendous diversity of action. And the marvellous thing about the nature is that each moment presents you with the opportunity. You're standing waiting for something, waiting for a bus, waiting for a taxi, waiting for a a meal, waiting for a friend, in the very standing, there you, there is the practice. There is the state of, and the possibility of being totally aware, observing, clearly observing. Or whether walking from A to B, or whether sitting, or whether reclining, it's, it's almost, for each person, it's almost as though each person, somehow or other, needs a reminder. Just needs to be given a reminder about the application of Dharma. Because we are moving in and out of these postures constantly throughout the day. When the body... If, or if the body is becoming excessively speedy, if there is tension and agitation in the body, then to adopt a reclining posture of lying down very still and just quite purposefully and deliberately relaxing the whole body through can help to relieve tension. You actually begin to see for yourself what is right for yourself. One area, very simply stated, nothing very sophisticated being said, but revolving around application of Dharma. The second area is this whole area of, of insight. Insight is seeing clearly the actuality of what is happening right now. That means, in the seeing clearly, it's to see the three characteristics 
of existence without running away from any of them. The first is impermanence. Really experiencing it, not intellectually but with your being, experiencing it at gut level. The second is that as a result or by the characteristic of this impermanence, nothing is truly satisfactory. Nothing anywhere is truly ever remaining. Nothing anywhere gives one in the way of forms or names or peoples or ideologies, etc., etc., gives one any real security. Nothing satisfactory anywhere. And final and finally in this clear clear seeing as a regular practice and observation, this basic teaching of the Buddha. One of the basic or primary insights of the Buddha is with regard to what is called anatta, not self. anything, anywhere. It's not an, an annihilationist viewpoint. It's not a negative viewpoint. In clear seeing, one sees that the I is I. It's not you, it's not yours. The object, the sight, is not you, it's not yours. The ear and the sounds are not you and not yours. Nose and smell, tongue and taste, no body, nor touch. It's not you, it's not yours. This is the basic teaching of, of direction of, for the understanding of what is referred to as anatta. Similarly with the mind and the way of the mind. Thoughts and feelings and emotions, ideas and projections, plans, imaginations and daydreams. All the whole field of mind and its movement, it's not you and it's not yours. Again, to be seen, to be understood really, really deeply. And so there comes about more and more in the daily life situation of bringing the calmness into being, bringing insight or clear seeing into being. In other words, that it is these areas which take priority above all else because without it there is a life of confusion agitation there is a life of unrest the waves of this agitation and unrest unfortunately are not just confined to you the individual but reverberate wherever you go in the same way, if there is, if there is clarity, 
if there is calm and if there is clear seeing the great value of that which is so rare begins to reverberate wherever you go so just just very just very briefly very very simply looked at this application of dharma in daily life activity in the actual process of what is happening in order for the mind to engage in some movement or whatever there must be some sense impression or some form of contact as we become more and more watchful about the way of life we just can catch it at an earlier stage where there is a sense impression or a contact which in its turn gives rise to a feeling which in turn gives rise to some desire which in turn gives rise to some grasping or identification a sequence of links of which are dependently arising one on the other in other words if you have identified with something you have grasped hold of something in life it's because of a desire if there has been a desire it's owing to a feeling if there is being if there is a feeling it's owing to some contact or sense impression look at anything in life look at anything which you have seized a hold of that you've made much of you see the same law arising and functioning now in the course of a day of a person's day there are obviously a wide variety of events experiences situations which arise most people whether they are aware of it or not whether you see it or not before any crisis situation develops in your life before you for before you feel that you are being overwhelmed by a situation or a situation is on top of you there are ample warning signs there are plenty of signals which are coming but through not being aware or through the blindness of the mind one ignores the signals and then comes the crisis a psychological crisis an existential crisis a relationship crisis a job crisis a lifestyle crisis or whatever and a person finds himself in this crisis and often this kind of bleating like a lamb oh why has this happened to me why am i like this why am i caught up through not being aware that is all just through simply not being aware the sort of signals or indications that there can come about a 
as it were, a sudden upsurge of suffering and ang- anguish, the sort of signals to observe is such things as small accidents. Foolish acts of carelessness. Again, most people know this, but people forget. You suddenly, you, 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 dro- you drop something. Or you, or you become... You, you lose your memory, you can't remember things. Or, or you find yourself slipping over. Or whatever, or you're forgetful. And, and you pick up that there's, there's, a, there's a pattern, say, over the last few days, or the last day or two, that this is happening. It generally, generally means that the mind itself is coming more into a state of blindness than into awareness. In the very blindness which precipitates these sort of this carelessness and accidents, in that very blindness, suffering can easily come about. And as the Buddha has explained and remarked several times, all suffering begins with blindness. All suffering begins with ignorance. So we're just examining a few areas in daily life situations. And so far the primary emphasis in the talk is being and has, has been given to personal development, growth, in order to come to maturity. Using basic awareness as the means for understanding. One area of meditation which is an important area and which needs to be remembered and which a person needs to apply and reflect upon is this whole area of loving-kindness. Some people in their practice, in their in a way of life, for some reason or another, become terribly self-centered. That the action and the reason for doing anything is one of continual preoccupation with me. And it's very easy to, to slip into that mainstream of thought. Before it was me, the selfish me for success, power, influence, material gain. And now the, now the preoccupation of concern easily can switch over to the spiritual me. The me who wants to be enlightened. The me who wants this and that. And to help balance that out in a person's development so that there's not this accentuation of me, it's important for the person to have a relationship to the world which the me is being given up. In this whole area, the actual application of loving-kindness, of compassion, comes in. This means 
say after a period of some some sitting the actual if any benefit the benefits which come from the actual meditation are consciously directed towards the welfare of all beings the where there is the the possibility and the opportunity to engage in action for others which invariably means the sacrifice of one's own time the sacrifice of one's energy the sacrifice of one's own vested personal interest at that time to engage in that action as a means of coming out of me and preoccupation with me Some people live in the world and never done hardly anything for anyone else. Think about it. Unless it's for some major gain, whether it's a financial gain or whether it's the seeking for approval or popularity or whatever. How hard it is and how hard it's becoming for a human being to do, engage in action for others without expectancy. Just doing it. Without this primary motive of wanting something back. You have to see, you you have to look. And have to and to ask oneself in my daily life up to now up to today to what extent have I been able to engage in action which serves people or have I, what to what extent have I been able to engage in any action which is not full of my own self self-knowledge self is always in on the picture always filling up every situation every situation being manipulated to gratify self but the practice of generating loving kindness a practice of filling one's heart and mind with meditations of loving-kindness. You can read about them in any Buddhist book. Helps to bring into one's own life and heart a spirit of loving-kindness which begins to vibrate and transmit itself. But again, it's an actual practice. It's something which you develop. It's something which you which you deliberately, deliberately cultivate. The 
Because the alternative to it is this increase in suffering, increase in the psychological psychological stress, physical stress. Look at your own newspapers this morning in Germany. The whole situation of the hijacking. Fortunately, those people on the aeroplane, cooped up in the aeroplanes, the days on end, the days on end were, weren't harmed physically. But the psychological stress on those people, trapped in, a, in an aeroplane in the, in the, on the sands of the desert, It must have been a nerve-breaking, a shattering mental experience for many of them. People coming home probably from their holidays and, and then being involved in that. Being in a tense situation. And the stress, not only on that man Schleier who's been murdered, but the stress on the family after weeks and weeks of waiting and hoping and and praying only for it to end in the man's assassination. And they're the, they're the obvious forms of, of, of stress and tension that's built up in the society. And when there's so much of it, you get this extraordinary extremist action. Through lack of love through lack of the awareness of the significance of loving-kindness and how important it is for human beings, through forgetfulness of the importance of compassion and how important it is for every human being, every one of us. The Dharma is not concerned with anything else the Buddha explicitly stated again and again, don't bother with dogma. Don't be concerned with any dogma at all. Don't be concerned with any tradition. Don't be concerned with any form. Be concerned about people including yourself. Be concerned about wisdom and understanding. Be concerned about compassion and loving-kindness. So finally, just to, just to resume what, is, what has been said, the application of Dharma takes into consideration the individual and takes into consideration other beings. The individual particularly specializes in the being more aware of both the physical and the mental aspects of one's existence, taking care with regard to diet, with regard to relationship, with regard to sleep, with, with regard to use of the body. 
takes into consideration that mind and the, the observation of the mind. The bringing of these two together brings about greater clarity and understanding. The Buddha compared it. The way of the practice, he said, it's like a man who for a long time has been sick, ill, beset with different forms of illness. Supposing that man, after being ill for such a long time, was to find a cure, was to find a way out of it, and to come back to the fullness of health, what do you think the feeling, what do you think that man would feel like? It's, then he went again. It's like a man who's been in the prison, tied in the bondage of, of attachment and holding and clinging, and suddenly to be released from this prison. What would be the, the gladness of that man's experience? This is what the practice and the application of Dharma is all about. Purity of conduct, leading to purity of mind, leading to purity of understanding. Observing, observing, observing. In sitting, in walking, in standing, in reclining. Finding time in one's life to relax the body. Finding time in one's life through natural means to relax out through the mind. The actual dealing with a situation one at a time. Constant practice and application of it. And though, finally, though few beings see, see this, the eye is not you, is not yours. The ear is not you and not yours. Nose, the tongue, the body is not you, is not yours. The mind and all its conglomerations of thoughts and patterns is not you and not yours. What is not you and not yours, why grasp onto it? Why take a hold of it? In the letting go of it, there is the end of suffering. There is freedom and pure spontaneity in life. Pure spontaneity in life. by letting go of what is not yours. May all beings see actualities. May all beings know actualities. 
may all beings come to profound understanding.